Hi, this is Steve Poor. You're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today's guest followed her passion for persuasive writing from the courtroom to legal technology. Jackie Schaefer is a former Paul Weiss litigator, in-house counsel, assistant attorney general, including in Alaska, and serial entrepreneur. Today, she's the founder of ClearBrief, an AI-powered legal writing tool which recently received $1.2 million in outside funding from big venture capital names Sequoia Capital and Madrona Venture Group. Her companies also received backing from Avo founder Mark Britton and a number of other investors associated with companies as diverse as Grubhub, Workday, and Tableau. Listen in to today's conversation to learn more about Jackie's path, how her work on an immigration asylum case led to her passion for evidence-based storytelling, and her vision for how ClearBrief can transform the legal writing process and the justice system. Jackie, how are you? I'm great. Thank great. you. <laughs> well, thank you for making the time. It's lovely to meet you, virtually anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. excited to be here. Well, you've got such an interesting story. I, I can hardly wait to hear more about it. You're founder of ClearBrief, which I want to talk at some length about here in a minute. But let's talk a little bit about your path that led you up to founding a legal tech startup. You started at Paul Weiss, if I have that right, in the litigation department. Yeah, that's right. Actually, my first day at Paul Weiss was the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed. So it was a very uh, memorable day to start in big law. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that day. But it was an amazing experience at Paul Weiss. I mean, it's a great place to learn how to be a litigator and especially to learn about, you know, having really good attention to detail <laughs> with right. your legal writing that I think actually really did influence the rest of my career. So I was, you know, I was at Paul Weiss um, for a couple of years, and then I took the unusual step of moving to Alaska. My husband's from Alaska, and yeah, I was just kind of ready for, for a new adventure. And I went in-house when I first moved to Alaska at an Alaska Native Corporation called Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, which was, you know, really fascinating. And I got the opportunity to travel to the North Slope of, of Alaska a number of times. And but I, you know, I, I wanted to get back in the courtroom. So I joined the attorney general's office in Alaska, where I was an assistant attorney general in the appellate section. And I developed an expertise in Indian law and child welfare appeals and, you know, did all sorts of really, you know, interesting work there. It was such a fun job. <laughs> um, Were you in Anchorage? Yeah, I was in Anchorage. And what's fun about, you know, practicing in Alaska is it's a very um, tight legal community and you can, you know, you sort of walk out the door for lunch and you'll see, you know, the Supreme Court justices walking around and, you know, other colleagues. It's just a very, you know, unique place to build a legal career and really a lot of, you know, really interesting issues of first impression. So yeah, I was there for several years and then I joined the Washington State Attorney General's office where I was doing similar work, but actually more complex litigation and including trial court litigation. I wanted to sort of, you know, expand my experience in, you know, working on these complex government cases that can last for, you know, decades, really. So that was really, you know, fascinating to to see a, a totally different state child welfare system. And in that role, I was working to advise the headquarters of the child welfare agency. So it's still handling appeals, you know, and doing the complex litigation, but I was also sort of seeing the day-to-day -day of what the issues were for the agency. 
These experiences, uh, we, as we talk about Clear Brief, it's an AI-powered brief writing assistance, a very cool thing, and I can't wait to learn more about it. What did you take from these experiences that sort of you've been using as a startup founder in that? What experiences are you drawing from? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always had this very common experience of loving the writing part of being a litigator. I love the creativity and coming up with the legal theory and doing the research and weaving it together with the evidence. But I really disliked this sort of universal scramble that, you know, I always experienced. I saw my colleagues always, you know, just scrambling when something was due, you knew that you couldn't, um, <laughs> you couldn't talk to anyone, you know, in the office because it was a, a team scramble, right? Like the paralegals were scrambling, the legal assistants, you know, the attorneys. And it really had a lot to do with, you know, the technology and the limited technology, honestly, where everything was is so manual and, and really, I, can, I should say is, it, that's still how, you know, most litigation firms operate, um, including in government, where right before it's due, you know, you're, you have to check all the citations and make sure that everything you're saying is super accurate. Because, you know, this is, again, something that I, I realized from doing oral argument where, you know, when you go to court and you have the chance at oral argument to explain the brief and to kind of suss out, you know, what the justices are thinking, if you don't have that evidence at your fingertips, then you will lose. <laughs> um, so I guess you will. It was those themes. And then I had an experience here in Washington state that was really formative for me in, in founding Clear Wave, where I was working on a pro bono asylum case. And it was the same kind of thing where at the final hearing, where if we lost my client and you know her toddler, they, they would be sent back to Honduras and probably murdered. So, you know, super stressful, but, you know, I can, I could sort of tell that the judge was not really inclined to be sympathetic to my client just from his you know demeanor but i was able to kind of point him to the evidence in my brief massive brief and discuss in depth that that piece of evidence which was like a therapist report and that's what i saw you know change the judge's mind and ultimately he did grant asylum and, and we won but that was an experience that i had a number of times where if you can draw the judge's attention to the evidence and if they can see it in context with your legal argument, you're much more likely to win. So that's really what ClearBrief does um, in a nutshell. It's just sort of automatically finding all the sources for you, bringing them up for you. You know, and this is all happening right in Microsoft Word. I wanted to build it so that it's so easy that like literally anyone can use it effortlessly. The idea is that, you know, you upload your brief, your any kind of, you know, draft that you're working on. And it will automatically scan the document and identify everything that's a citation and pull it up for you in the right-hand side of Microsoft Word. And you can upload the factual documents that you're referencing so that ClearBrief can automatically find that and bring it up. And using our you know, patent-pending AI, ClearBrief can actually suggest other places in the factual record that would support your sentence, like what you're arguing, so that you're like, okay, I want to argue that. The therapist said X, Y, Z, but I have a massive transcript of the, you know, the interview with the therapist. ClearBrief can suggest for you the exact page that best captures the meaning of X, Y, Z, <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. Let, let's back up for just a second, because this is not your first startup, right? right. Mm -hmm. You've done a couple others, Playdate Village, Weekdays. Being a startup, a founder is a cool path, but it's not one that everyone can get excited about or, or manage. What is it about your experience or your learnings 
that gives you the desire to create something like whether it's Clear Brief or Playdate Village or Weekdays? That's a great question. And um, it's funny because I don't think anyone's asked me that before, <laughs> but it's something that I, I wonder if a lot of other lawyers also feel like this, where so often we are making recommendations to other people about how to solve problems. So actually, bef right before joining the startup world, I was in-house counsel at a you know multi-billion dollar national nonprofit called Casey Family Programs. And I was, you know, making a lot of recommendations about, you know, legal issues related to how to improve the child welfare system. And I saw, you know, so many of the problems were related to this sort of administrative burden and how we're all just bogged down. All these knowledge workers are bogged down with all these administrative tasks. And I was just thinking, like, if there was a way to give people better tools, you know, whether it's technology combined with with human capital, like other, you know, give people better tools to reduce that administrative burden, then we could change the system. And, you know, you're always making recommendations as a lawyer. And I sort of always wanted to follow through and build something to solve the problem. <laughs> and you don't often have that chance as a lawyer to be the one, you know, building it. You can analyze and, and identify what needs to happen. And so I think lawyers should really embrace that side of them that's like, okay, not only did I spot the issue, not only did I visualize how we can solve it, but maybe I could build something to solve it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you you talked about, I, I heard you speak uh, in another context, was you wrote a what's, a, what's a very interesting law review article dealing with the applications of artificial intelligence in social welfare agencies. And I, a, a couple things sort of stood out to me. One, if I understand the point you were making, it was through writing that article that helped really inform you about the underlying technology and the art of the possible. So it's one thing to want to build something. It's another thing to have the chops to be able to figure out how to do it, even if you're not doing the coding yourself. Did I get that right? Is that sort yeah, of... That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like a muscle that I had to build, I think, before I felt comfortable that I knew that I was on to something or that, you know, I could execute on the idea. And again, that's a skill that I think a lot of lawyers have, which is researching. <laughs> and that's so much of what build, building a startup is actually, you're just researching and testing a million different things. And we're awesome at researching. So, so I, I think that's what's sort of the hidden superpower that lawyers have in, you know, building startups. But yeah, I mean, I, I felt like, okay, I need to strengthen my technical understanding, you know, just of natural language processing of AI of what it was, what's possible. And so I, as part of the article, I didn't only want to identify the problems, you know, because I feel like that's, that's annoying. And a lot of the article, you're just like, look at all these problems. I wanted to actually, I, I devote a good chunk of the article to suggesting ideas for, you know, products or for applications of existing products and how they could, they could help the child welfare system. And so in going through that exercise, that really helped me understand what was missing from the market and actually really think about a problem that I'd experienced so many times, right? That scramble before something is due, before a brief is due. You know, and, and another, you know, interesting aspect of, you know, that, that research process and also my time at, at Casey Family Programs, I was working on an initiative um, negotiating agreements with courts across the country, state courts. And through that, I met so many judges and kind of learned about the tech that they were using and learned about the limitations of their processes 
And so I, I had just been thinking about this problem for a really long time. <laughs> and so I wanted to build something that could solve my problem. I'm doing all this work to come up with the source documents and weave everything together in this, you know, tapestry of knowledge. And then I'm handing in a static piece of paper, essentially, to the court and saying, you go look this all up on your own. Look up everything I said. And I think we all know from, you know, social media that most people don't click on the link, you know, even when you do include a link to an article, most people don't click on it to see what the article act, they don't even read it, right? And so we're expecting courts to go and not only, we're not even giving them a link, they have to go find everything and, and it's all over the place. It's in factual documents, which are tens of thousands of pages and broken up over multiple PDFs that have been filed over the course of, you know, a year. It's all different, you know, cases, and we're expecting them to go find and scroll to the right page of a 50-page opinion and then dig around in there and see what, you know, if it's true. Like, it's just so much administrative work that we're putting on the judge and just thinking, okay, what's the simplest way that we can bring this all to the judge's fingertips? Um, and so that's what Clear Brief does. So as you're, as you're doing the research for the article, and there's a component of the article I do want to talk about in a little more depth here in a second. And then you move to start a, a legal tech startup. What's interesting about listening is I don't know how deep into the technical details your research got as to whether you sort of taught yourself coding or anything of that nature. But what I'm hearing you describe is the identification of the problem you're trying to solve, which often for tech folks, sometimes they get enamored with the solution and fail to understand that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Do you feel your process sort of kept you from getting so tied up into the details of the technical solution that you're able to focus on the problem and the product you needed to produce? Yeah, I would say it's it was a cyclical process and it still is where having the the deep knowledge of this problem that it's, you know, over years and years of working in this space allowed me to talk to so many different stakeholders because I wanted to make sure I wasn't only viewing the problem just through my lens as an attorney, but it's a systems problem because the paralegals are super stressed out, the legal assistants, the clerks who work with the judges, the court personnel, opposing counsel, the clients, <laughs> everyone's stressed out and doesn't fully benefit from the pleadings. And so I talk to so many different people. I mean, I think that's a really important part of the process that it's not just technical. You know, you have to understand the problem from all these different perspectives. And then, yeah, I think you need, you need to be able, though, to speak the language when you do go to the technical side. So I did a ton of networking with AI professionals and, and folks who had built AI platforms and engineers. Like really early on, I met with a guy here in Seattle who had built, you know, an, um, an AI platform before. And he met me at the courthouse because that's where in Seattle, where you can access Westlaw for free. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to show him what opinions looked like. And it was just easier to, and yeah, and it was, just, it was really fun. We met at the courthouse and went to the law library. And he looked through all these opinions with me and we talked about them and, and he said, yeah, I think this is technically feasible what you want to do. And that was great. That was kind of like step 0 0.1 of, right. of like, okay, one person thinks it's a good idea <laughs> so on the technical side. And so then from there, I just, yeah, again, I used my networking powers to, to talk with more technical folks and eventually was able to build a prototype of the algorithm. So that we didn't have it productized yet so that someone could go in and use it themselves. But we had the algorithm and we could manually run briefs and, this, you know, the record documents through 
And so we did that, you know, for several months until I was able to get enough traction to raise funding to build the actual product. You talked about networking with judges across the country, and I assume practitioners in both large firms, small firms. It sounds like it was a very comprehensive user discussion. What did you learn from that process that informed your shaping of the business and your your movement forward? And, and is that a process you would recommend to others who are looking at thinking about starting and building something? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. I, I remember I had, you know, I just, and I still do, I have a running list of ideas <laughs> around products that I think would be great for lawyers. And so I initially, I remember asking a lot of questions around using AI to sort of like help write the brief and actually maybe write portions of the brief for the user, that kind of thing. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize like lawyers do not want that. <laughs> they just don't want that. And that really informed my thesis actually, which is that we had to build something that would really fit seamlessly into the way that lawyers currently work because there is a very low tolerance to just to change the way that lawyers are doing things. And, you know, I think I totally get that because, again, the, the researching, the writing, I don't really see how you can easily outsource that because in doing that process, that's how you learn. That's how you learn the case. And if we make that so much faster, then you might miss the opportunity to learn that your own facts and the law. So what I wanted to do and, and where I focus Clearbrief is on kind of what are those sort of administrative steps that clog the process? So you can think of it as back in the day when you went to do legal research, you had to go walk over to the bookshelf, grab the book, you know, flip to the right page of the book, find it, and then, you know, manually type it into your document. Once electronic legal research came about, you no longer had to walk over, take the book, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like taking that part of it out of the process that nobody really cares about the walking over and taking the book part. They care about reading it and understanding it. So that's my philosophy of how we focused on, we could streamline the research and writing process if we can instantly use natural language processing to parse the document and pull out every single thing that's a citation. So I didn't have to change how I wrote that document because lawyers are trained to write in a certain way and to do their preparation in a certain way. And they're probably not going to change that. <laughs> so that was one of the biggest takeaways. You know, you, you make this sort of distinction in your law review article about augmenting the power of people and taking away the routinized or the administrative stuff. And you point out some of the challenges of using algorithms or intelligent automation in more predictive ways. I found, I found your discussion about the impact of policing on common walls versus detached walls, putting bias into the statistical. And you, you're drawing sort of a similar kind of distinction in clear brief by taking the administrative responsibilities off and leaving the writing. That's something you also heard from your user base, I take it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. Investors are always asking me the same question, which is, so how long will it take until an algorithm can predict the outcome of the case? Or can Clearbrief tell judges what they should rule in a case? Or, <laughs> or can, can Clearbrief tell lawyers not to make an argument because they're not going to win in front of that judge? And my answer is, I, I really try to educate investors like, you know, 
maybe we could we could build a product like that, but that wouldn't have, in my view, a strong benefit to society because I don't want to discourage lawyers from making that argument that statistically it seems like wouldn't win. But guess what? You know, plenty of times I've made an argument that statistically seemed like it wouldn't win and it won. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take away the, you know, the human element of making those determinations about the merits of a case. And what I do think is that we need to make it easier for the decision makers to have the right context to use their human brains to make the decision. And right now it is hard to honestly to get the full context with everybody so backlogged, you know, courts are facing historic backlogs after COVID and you know, it's just it's very difficult right. to take the time to fully, you know, evaluate and come to the, you know, most fair and equitable decision if you know, you don't have the proper time to go and look up every single source document and, and confirm and actually read that transcript of that interview or whichever piece of evidence it is. Right. So let's talk about the use case for ClearBrief from the perspective of your various constituents. Let's start with the person who's got to write the brief or the motion for summary judgment or whatever. Walk me through how I'm an associate. The typical way I do it is I'd have electronic versions, or I'm old enough that it was still been in boxes, paper of the record and research files. And I would sit and I would type out my argument and I'd be researching. I'd be looking at all the various source materials, making sure I'm doing it. How does ClearBrief change that process for me? Okay. So, you know, I, I talked to over 200, you know, attorneys and judges and paralegals, et cetera, across the country. And I found that people were spending around, you know, maybe 20 to 30 hours on what you just described, the kind of research, the writing part of preparing a motion, a significant motion or a brief. You can do that however you would normally do that. And that time is you is typically billable. What isn't billable is what comes next. People are generally writing off about eight hours of time they spend going back and finding their right document, or actually when they were writing the draft, they just put ad site, ad site after <laughs> every sentence in the facts section and expecting you know that they'd come back later and find it. Then they need to format everything, do the table of authorities. And there's you know eight hours that, because now that bill would seem bloated or it feels bloated to lawyers, and there's a lot of pressure from clients, they will write off about eight hours of that time on that kind of administrative type stuff. But it's also super critical. You can't skip the part where you find all the sites and check all the sites and make sure that your formatting is perfect. You still have to do it. So what ClearBrief is designed to do is when you have that draft, that's the point where it's already in Word. You just click a little button, the ClearBrief button in Word, and a side panel pops up. And it prompts you to upload the PDFs that you're referencing. And ClearBrief can detect all of the kind of metadata about those and figure out how you refer to it in the draft, et cetera. And then you just press a big button that says, you know, analyze my brief. And so it will go through and detect everything that is supposed to be a citation, whether it's to the law or to the facts. You don't have to upload the law at all because ClearBrief will just pull up a publicly available version of whatever statute, case, you know, anything, regulation that you're, that you're citing and take you to that exact spot so that you can just check it side by side. Okay, my sentence is saying that the statute says this, looking at the statute, cool, I'm right. Okay, move on. And what's really unique is for the citations to the facts, ClearBrief can actually score it for you. So it'll flag for you in red if your sentence seems like a mismatch with the page that you cited to. And then it can suggest for you a different page from 
thousands of, you know, the, the pages that whatever it is that you uploaded. So if you have a 5,000 page excerpt of record, Clearbrief can suggest the top five pages like, oh, this seems like it relates to this, your sentence. Well, Clearbrief connect with most, maybe not small practitioners, but will have their various electronic depositories of the record, summation, et cetera, et cetera. Will Clearbrief connect automatically with those or do you have to manually upload materials? Yeah. So right now you need to manually just, it's, it's really simple. I mean, you just drag it in. And what we found is that because generally when you're referencing those kind of core factual documents, you already have them as a PDF somewhere. So it was very easy for people to just drag it in. But in the future, we definitely do hope to integrate with, you know, existing locations of documents. Will the program, whether it's a factual assertion in the record or a case, will the program also say, I cited X case, that stands for that proposition, but here are three cases that stand for the contrary proposition or factual representation? So no, it doesn't do that. And the thinking there is that, you know, we're not expecting folks to use Clearbrief as a legal research tool. What I learned is that everyone has their own legal research tools. What you want when you're getting ready to file the brief is just to see whatever it is that you researched and, and cited to and make sure that it actually says what you thought it said a week ago when you wrote, you know, that paragraph in the middle of the night or whatever. <laughs> so that's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not doing everything, you know, in terms of legal research. People can keep their legal research process, you know, consistent the way that they use whatever tool they want. But I didn't quite finish the features which relate to this question, which is, so when you're done reviewing all the citations for accuracy, you can instantly click a button and without having to code or do anything while you're writing, Clearbrief will build that table of authorities for you instantly, recognizing all, every id, every short form. And then it will create an electronic version of your brief that is available in the cloud. So you would, you know, you go and file your brief the way you normally would, but then you can also email a courtesy copy to the parties and to the court so that now the judge can click on that link and they can view a nice clean version of your brief with every single citation being clickable. And it takes the judge to that publicly available version of the case. So again, that's why, you know, we are really focused on, you know, the law is supposed to be accessible and publicly, you know, readable, but that's not really how it's evolved given all the different, you know, proprietary legal research databases. So that was a feature that, you know, was really important to me in building this platform so that now the lawyer can share their brief, right? You can share it with your client who now can actually click through and see all the work that went into that brief and all the source documents that you had to weave together, including the factual documents. Lawyers could even, you know, depending on the sensitivity of, you know, you can set the privacy levels, of course, of whatever you share. But, you know, I envision that firms will be using Clearbrief to display sort of their best briefs so that potential clients can go to their website and see, wow, I mean, if I hire this lawyer, this is the quality of work that I'll be getting. And we're also in conversations with courts who will be using Clearbrief to publish their opinions. And this is all, again, possible because they can share interactive versions of their opinions that cite to publicly available sources so that now the public can actually understand the context of a legal opinion, even if they're not a lawyer. You've got a very impressive investor base supporting you. How difficult was it to get investors interested 
in this venture? And do you have any tips for people who are, again, wanting to build something and trying to replicate your success? Not your product, mm -hmm. but your success. No, it was not. No, nothing about this was easy. <laughs> that is um, something I must, I must state up front. Um, but I do think that the concept instantly resonated with attorneys. And so I was very, very excited when I had through networking sort of reached out to Mark Britton, who had founded, you know, Avo, and he was named, I think, like one of the people who most disrupted law the last decade. And, you know, he told me initially when I was talking to him, you know, I, I hear pitches from legal tech founders every week and I, I never invest and I never, you know, it never goes anywhere. So just telling you that <laughs> I said, okay. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, explained the idea. I explained the work that I'd done and the preparation that I'd done and the research and the customer discovery. And Mark acknowledged like, okay, I think you really have something there. And yeah, and over, you know, I had to, you know, continue to work on my, my pitch and illustrating, you know, the business model. But eventually, you know, he was on board. And so that was a really powerful moment for Clear Brief when that happened. And similarly, I had just reached out to Brian Garner, who was one of my heroes throughout my legal career. And I always loved reading, you know, his writing about appellate writing. And also, you know, the idea resonated with him immediately. He, he understood it because it's a problem that we've all experienced and there just hasn't been an elegant solution to it before. It's something that can just sort of instantly, you know, make the document interactive, instantly find the mistakes and show inaccuracies. So once I kind of had those two investors on board, um, I, you know, then I went out to VCs and other investors and, you know, it was still very challenging because legal tech is not an investor favorite. <laughs> right. Um, I think what, what I really had to do was tell the story of the companies that have succeeded and have become unicorns and how we were similarly positioned. My advice to folks is know going into it that investors, traditional VCs, you know, will will not be excited about legal tech, um, especially if your product's something super nerdy like ClearWave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had to do a lot of education of explaining the problem because it's so not visible to investors who have never, many of them have never been involved in litigation. They've never read a pleading. They had no idea that this massive amount of work, you know, billions of dollars annually goes into preparing pleadings like this. So that, you know, it's, it's an uphill journey, but I think if you continue to build your case, just like you do, you know, as a litigator, <laughs> you've got to build your evidence and that's how you'll be successful. And how long has your product been live? So we launched publicly at the end of March, but, you know, we've been testing and working with, you know, our early users since, you know, 2020 and now every week the product is getting more and more elegant. It's really cool to see the response from our, our users. So we have a massive wait list of now 600 plus law firms from across the country. And so we are slowly working our way through the wait list and we want to make sure that it's, you know, a consistent, great experience for first time users. And, you know, we expect that to really pick up in the next couple of months that we'll start really onboarding the massive amounts of, of users. Well, that's great. Well, we're uh, we're running out of time, but it's such a fascinating story, and we'll be watching a Clear Brief with interest to see to watch it take off and become a unicorn. Congratulations! Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.